Um, good to have you here tonight. I trust you had a good day. It's good to be together always to get into God's Word. We're in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, we have been looking at the first chapter. Oh, well, let's see. Last week we had baptism. It was a week before, I think, that. And, uh, but the first three chapters are really the history of what happened from Israel to, uh, to, the, to the border of the Jordan River before they go across. And um, I, I love history. I always have. I enjoy watching historical things, understanding them. But the more as, as a Christian and you have that biblical understanding, that biblical worldview, you just see, as I've entitled this, God is just embedded in history. He has his hands in all of those things. And the history lesson of Israel continues in chapters 2 and 3. My goal is to kind of move through this rather, rather quickly tonight. But so many wonderful lessons to learn there. And then chapter 4, we see Moses' first sermon. And boy, does he get some good ones going from there as he preaches his last sermons before his death to the nation of Israel. Um, it was interesting, even today, um, how many people refer to Deuteronomy, just friends from here and from other places either text me or post it, so many different verses of Deuteronomy today. And it was just interesting, I was studying and, and checking things and getting texts in and emails and seeing some people post some stuff, and there was text after text on Deuteronomy. Um, so, so fascinating. Many of the commentators uh, that I'm reading on this often say it's Jesus' book. It's the one he loved to quote the most. So uh, it is a fascinating text and great to learn from it. So let's ask the Lord to help us, and then we'll look at these first. Uh, we'll look at chapters 2 and 3. Father, thank you for our time in the Word today. Thank you for a sweet uh, time of worship together. I'm so grateful to see each and every one out here, Lord. And uh, Lord, it's good to dedicate time to be under your Word and uh, Lord, thank you for the priority uh, that this church has always placed on that. Lord, may it continue to do that. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me get into this right away. Number one, it's a time to leave the wilderness. It's time to leave the wilderness. If you look at chapter 2 of Deuteronomy verse 1, then we turned and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea as the Lord spoke to me encircled Mount Seir for many days. Well, in chapter 1, Moses was led to record the events that led up to the judgment at Kadesh Barnea, right? So all, chapter 1 is all about what led up to that judgment that happened. They got to the border of the Canaan land um, and the promised land, and they rejected God, and so that's what chapter 1 is. But chapter 2 now turns ahead till after the events of that wandering. In fact, there is very little recorded in the Bible about the 38 years of wandering. And I remember being a young boy and reading and, and wanting to know a little more about those 38 years, but the Bible doesn't tell us much. In fact, the Bible speaks only of God's care for them, how he took care of them and met their every need, and you actually see that in verse 7 of this text. There is very little that tells us what happened on those 38 years. You go, well, why is that, Pastor? Well, one, I think you see judgment carried out. God judges, and then he turns their attention to the promised land. They, uh, he wants them to live by faith alone. There's the results of lack of living by faith. Now he's putting the attention on living by faith alone. And I think there's a clear understanding that children were not responsible for their parents' sin. That's a very important truth to understand. Sometimes people feel under the sin of others. Um, and I think God is showing that 
nation, that previous older generation was responsible for their own sin. Now you, children, obey me. But you also understand how God deals with sin. It is swift. He brings it down, and it's gone. And he moves his people on. But there is a clear cost to sin, and you think about it. They lost 38 years or so in the pleasure of the will of God because of their disobedience. 38 years they gave up. I mean, that's, that's all, you know, when you think about Old Testament uh, longevity, in, in difficult times, they gave up a lot of years not obeying the Lord. Look at verse 2 and 3. And the Lord spoke to me, Moses says, You have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north. Well, Moses passes over those 38 years that we don't have recorded what went on there. And now he records the events that led from the wilderness. So leaving that wilderness, they've been out there circling around in, in the wilderness of Sinai, um, which is a large mountain range there that they've been navigating their way around in there. And now they turn towards the eastern shore of Jordan. And lots of things are going to happen in this chapter explains that. And explains how he led this nation northward. Remember, he's still leading them by a pillar of fire at night, by a cloud during the day. He's still giving them bread from heaven. He's still providing for their needs. And they navigate through, and, and being there, um, again, I wish I could put some more pictures up, but when you're there, you go, oh my goodness, how did these two million people to plus get through here? And so God was protecting them and guiding them as they make their way. And chapter 2 and 3 really shows that. And, and now they are going to run into some nations. Some they're going to pass by peacefully, and others it's full-on war. And this is a young nation. And this will be a challenge for them until they reach the River Jordan. It's most likely here where Moses records these events and he begins to address this nation as they finally get to the shore of Jordan and they're sitting there, Mount Nebo close by, that where the river wraps around just a little bit where he could see all of the promised land. Here he is showing and giving sermon after sermon as he prepares the people to move on without him. It's time to leave the wilderness. <laughs> I think that's a good statement. Sometimes we get in wildernesses ourselves. It's time to get out of that. Obey and follow the Lord. Number two, let God create the conflict while people strive for peace. Chapters two, here we go for a good size of chunk here. We'll try to move through this very quickly, but look at verse four and five with me. And commanded the people, after they've been circling around, go north now, and commanded the people saying, you will pass through the territory of your brother, the sons of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not provoke them, for I will not give you any of their land, even as little as a footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. Well, here you come into some very interesting language. They are going to pass through some groups, and the first one that they come to that's recorded here is the nation of Edom. And we know this is, as the Bible said, this is, this is your brother Esau, right? So we are talking about the brother Jacob, who's moving forward, his brother Esau, they're in his territory. Notice it says, be very careful. Do not provoke him. The Hebrew word literally means don't excite him. <laughs> don't poke the bear is the idea here. There was tension. 
there's still, there was still tension. Think about the tension that happened when, when Jacob and Esau and the birthright and all that goes down and I'm going to kill you as soon as dad dies, right? That tension still remained and God was helping them work through that. You remember that God had settled Esau. He had given him land, great promise, and, and, and Esau's descendants, they made their way down to that seer wilderness and, and, and they were they lived um, nomadically and hunted and, and worked those mountains. And, and that's where they settled. And the inhabitants, they lived in these high mountains and deep valleys. And, and when you're there, you, you go, wow, Edom, this was his place as they moved through that. And that all goes back to Genesis 21 when Hagar is fleeing Sarah, her maidservant, and, and, and she puts the baby down and thinks he's going to die and so forth. You remember that. And the angel of the Lord appears and says, no, 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 go pick him up. He's going to have a great nation, and now this is where you're at. And so there's tension here. Look at verse 6 through 8. You shall buy food from them with money so that you may eat, and you shall also purchase water from them with money so that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all that you have done. He has known your wanderings through your great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. So we passed beyond our brothers the sons of Esau, who lived in Seir, away from the Arabah road, away from Elath, and from Elzon Geber. And we returned and passed through the way of the wilderness. Now, I love the clear instruction, and there's some fascinating, just to think momentarily for us, just moving quickly here tonight, though, um, is think about Edom, and now this brothers of theirs, which are anywhere from two to four million. The, the commentators just don't know, but at least they know they're two million. Um, they roll into town, <laughs> and they're going to buy food and water from someone who doesn't like them. Now, what does God have to do to prepare to feed two million people? If two million people rolled into Ormond Beach, we're just stopping in to pick up something to eat, what has to happen before those people get there? You know, you just stop and think about this. God richly blessed the Edomites so richly. They had lots of lambs and calves and grain and all the things that this nation that needed this food would have come along what they would have needed, they had to get from them. And so it's interesting, God will even bless, quote, enemies so that he will take care of his own people. God does that today world is very lost and evil, and yet God still allows this world to provide for his people. It's a, it's a powerful teaching on the sovereignty of God, and I couldn't help but think about that. I said, God, what did you do in advance to this nation, Edom, in order to feed such a large group? Verse 9 is a fascinating verse to me. Then the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab nor provoke them to war, for I will Go where I will give you. I will not give you any of their land as possession because I have R to the sons. I've given R the sons of Lot a possession. Now, here you remember what happens here. Just these are just quick history lessons. Genesis 19, um, Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. Lot and his daughters get out. His wife looks back, turns a pillar of salt. All that's left is uh, Lot and two daughters. They looked over, Abraham, excuse me, Abraham looked over the plain. It looked like a smoke of a furnace. To them, nothing's left. We're the only people left on the earth. You know the terrible things that happened in that. They slept with their father that night, got impregnated, and now you have Moab and Ammon, two new nations. 
And that's who he's coming, that's who they're coming up against here. When they come into uh, verse 9 here, they're going to pass through their brothers, Moab and and Ar, the sons of the lots of their possession. That's going to be Ammon there. Now, we, as we see, not all of the sons of Moab and all the sons of Ammon are given this special treatment. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, you remember that Balak fought against Israel and he wiped them out, right? He got Balaam to try to uh, curse him and all those things. So there is a particular part of Moab that God is protecting because he promised Lot that there were his daughters would have descendants after him and this is them. And so God has this way to protect particular groups, not necessarily godly groups in any way. The Moabites weren't, the the Ammonites weren't, but God wanted the nation of Israel to treat them with respect and caution as as they passed through the land and they obeyed him in it. And interesting enough, God had Israel treat many of the smaller nations, as I read a lot on this, these were the smaller groups. He had them treat them with respect, whom they probably had the ability to wipe out because of the size of Israel. And the larger ones, which way they had much difficulty trying to take over, he wipes them out in order to get them to the promised land. Now, I think it's so important that we grow in the knowledge of God so we know when to fight and we know when to restrain. There's things we've got to fight for, Right? This Sunday is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. I'm going to do a blurb on it. Um, just a little sermonette on it as we get going in the morning. Um, We've got to fight for that. I mean, life is, is of God. God gives life. The world just treats it as tissue. And so there's, there's times to fight, right? And there's other times to back up, give God room, listen to him, pass through peacefully, let God figure those things out. And we have to we have, to be, we have to know our God. In this new generation, think about this, new generations doing things the old ones didn't do. They're listening to God and they're obeying and God is giving them access. Uh, 10 through 13 is a little bit of history here, some interesting things here. The Elam lived there formerly. This is this area of Ar where the sons of Lot had possession Formerly, a people as great and numerous and as tall as Anakim. This is one that would be related to Goliath, most likely. So this is a large group of people. Verse 11, like Anakim, they also regard it as Rephraim. Rephraim, Rephraim, that's the word I'm trying to get my Hebrew language. Some of these are actually not Hebrew words, um, like Elam is not. Um, But the Moabs called them Elam. That was the native tongue for that. The Horites formerly lived in Seir, but the sons of Esau disposed them, destroyed them from before them, and settled in their place just as Israel did to the land of their possession which the Lord gave them. So I I just think that's an interesting thought. Verse 13, now arise, go across the book of Zered yourself. So we cross the book of of Zered. So uh, history just tells us that man, wicked men rise up, wars happen, one group is crushed, one take that, and then they stay for a little while, then somebody comes over and does that and all that. That's how, that's how mankind has lived since the beginning. They constantly depl- displace one another. Now, the interesting book, bro- uh, the brook called Zered here, is um, not, you, if you look at new maps, they're not here. There's a lot of these places that just aren't in our maps anymore. The names changed, and so we can't find exactly where these are. This brook is probably just south of the, of the Salt Sea there. Um, and if, maybe your Bible, if you have a uh, map in your back, you might see that. But 
most theologians believe that that was the southern border of Moab. And so they were going to cross out of that, and now they were going to come to some interesting places. And it's in, it, I, but I think it's encouraging that as you see what they did in verse 13, they crossed it, they, they, they did everything God told them to, they moved through, they didn't cause problems, they bought water, bought food, they obeyed God, and this is a new leaf that's happened, really a new beginning. Look at 14 through 18. Now, the time that it took us to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the brook of Zerad was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war perished from within the camp as the Lord has shown them. Then there's another little snippet of the 38 years, but not a lot of details, right? Just the, the older generation dying off. Verse 15, Moreover, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from within the camp until they all perished. So it came about when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people that the Lord spoke to me saying, Today you are to cross over Ar and move uh, the border of Moab. So there, there's just a, a short snippet of, I think, reminds you just the deadliness, the wages of sin there. Look at verses 19 through 23. They now run into another group. When you come opposite of the sons of Ammon, do not harass them. Remember, they're in this town, this now this place called Ar. We call it just Ar, Ar, like a pirate is how it's pronounced. Um, do not harass them nor provoke them, for I will not give you any land of the sons of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot as a possession. That goes again back to Genesis 19 with Lot and his daughters. You can read it there. I think verse 38. Verse 20, it also is regarded as the land of the Rephraim. I have the hardest time with this word. I've got to reframe. Uh, PH is an F there. Rephraim. And the Rephraim formerly lived there, but the Amorites called the Zamzumi, that's their, their Amorite native name, destroyed them before them, and they disposed them and settled in their place. Verse 22, just as he did for the sons of Esau who live in Seir, when he destroyed the Horites before them, they disposed them and settled them in their place even to this day. And then the Avim, who lived in the villages as far as Gaza to Captorium, who came from the Captora, destroyed them and lived in their place. Again, lots of information here. Some of these names and places have all changed, but the Amorites uh, were to be treated in the same manner that the Moab. This is what he's saying. I want you to go through. Don't cause war. Buy food. Buy water. Uh, stay on the path. Don't get off the highway. Go through there. Now, the historians tell us that this Avim in verse 23 was the ancient village dwellers of Palestine and Gaza. They were eventually overthrown by this captor group who were the would become the Philistines. And they were there all the way into David's time. They were a real thorn in the flesh of the nation of Israel. And it isn't interesting that even today, what is going on right now? Gaza. This, is, this has been a group. So it's interesting to see that there were so many different generations of people who were overthrown here. I'm going to get to that, that Rephraim guy in a minute because in the next chapter I'm going to explain who he is and where he comes from. And I think you'll see just the deep wickedness why God destroyed that group. Um, so anyway, sinful men rise up against each other. They dispose one another. Uh, and in the end, look, we have to be careful that we're on the side of God and and. and you can imagine all the politics at play in this kind of stuff. And I, as I thought about this today, I thought, Lord, it's so easy for us to get so wound up about politics. 
when you move kings like the river, Proverbs says, and you dispose people and you bring in others on, and, and, and you do that. And so we, we need to be careful. It doesn't mean we don't stand up. It doesn't mean we don't vote and do what we need to do. But God is in history moving to bring about his will, always. He's not absent. He's not absent from elections coming this year. He's not absent from the caucuses in Iowa. He's, he's not absent from those. He's in those things moving and putting people where he wants them for his purposes. I can't forget that. Three, God, when God hardens the heart of men. Now, we head into a longer section here, and this is a very interesting uh, section because the scene changes. The children of Israel just come through this very peaceful, passing through several nations, no conflict. They bought food and water. Everything went good. But now they're in the region of the Amorites, and particularly the king of Bashan. Look at verses 24 and 25. Arise, set out, pass through the valley of Arnon. Look, I have given Sion, the Amorite king of Heshbon, and his land into your hand. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. This day I will bring, I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the peoples everywhere under the heavens. Isn't that interesting? Who, when they hear the report of you, will tremble and be in anguish because of you. Now, as you can tell, this is going to be a very different experience. First one was very peaceful. They passed through. I'm sure it was tension, like, hey, you know, kids, stay in line, you know. <laughs> this is different. Now, now, instead of peace, they're facing war. And the Lord says, I'm going to lead you into war this time. Now, it's very interesting. In chapter 1, verse 27, if you remember there, it's where Moses told them that their rebellious parents said, that the Amorites will destroy us and take our children. Now we're back to the Amorites. And God's going to destroy them. And not only their men, but their women, their children, and destroy everything and give all their belongings to the nation of Israel. It's fascinating. This was the group that they were extremely afraid of. And they actually used their names that God could not protect them from it. And now this new and this obedient generation, they're very fun to study, at least at this time in history, this new obedient generation, they're, they're watching God. Now he's saying, look, I'm going to deliver these ones. Your parents wouldn't, couldn't get off of their minds, thought that they were going to take captive all your children, and I'm going to take all that they have, all their possessions, and I'm going to give it to you. And I think he's given them a taste of the, nation, of the promised land. Everything they have, I'm going to give to you. You didn't build it. You didn't plow it. I'm going to give it to you. And so the Lord is making promises that they are starting to believe in. Notice in verse 25 that the promises of the Lord begin to take effect. The people of the land now have this dread on them. Again, this is a gift from God to help them increase their faith. They're going to have a, a dread. Now, you, you, you have faith in me, and I will put dread on them. I'll put fear in them. They'll be afraid before they even come to the battle. Notice it says, when they hear the reports of you. Well, they didn't fight with the last two groups. So, as I thought about this, I think this has to go back to the nation of Egypt. The reports of what God did to the nation of Egypt. He plundered that nation. He took out one whole firstborn generation, then wiped out their entire army. 
See, that's getting to these people. This God of the Israelites is walking ahead of them. He's coming, and it's putting fear on the enemies of God. It's quite fascinating when this young nation of now ones who came out of the wilderness, when they believe God, he goes before them. Look at verse 26 through 29. So I, will send, I, so I sent messengers. This is interesting now. From the wilderness of Kedamoth, of Sidon, the king of Heshbon, with words of peace saying, let me pass through your land. I will travel only on the highway. I will not turn aside to the right or the left. You will sell me food for money so I may eat and give me water for money so that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. Just as the sons of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for me until I cross over Jordan into the land which the Lord our God is giving. So here God starts us out on this campaign, but he first says, I want you to send messengers and I want you to Show them that you're willing to go through with peace. I think that's fascinating. He's already told them that he's going to wipe them out, but we're going to do this. We're going to send in a message of peace. Now, notice what happens, verse 30 and 31. But these kings are going to react different than Esau and, um, and Ammon reacted. The, but Sion, the king of Heshbon, was not willing for us to pass through his land. For the Lord God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order, now this is interesting, in order to deliver him into your hands as he is today. And the Lord said to me, see, I have begun to deliver Sion and his land over to you. Begin to occupy that you may possess his land. Well, this is an incredible statement um, in the report from Moses here that God had hardened the spirit of this king. It says, notice he says, has made, it, made his heart obstinate. Well, where do we see that? Egypt. Didn't he do the exact same thing in Egypt? He hardened Pharaoh's heart. And, and there's many people who really struggle with these passages. And I, I think people who love the sovereignty of God and study sovereignty of God and salvation and life and history and all those things, we, we actually learn to worship at or sober of, of that he didn't do it to us but, and, and humbled at it. But we, we actually come to know this. And I think the more you know about God, the more you study him, you know that he knows all things and he knows all hearts of all people. The book of Romans, in powerful passage of Romans chapter 9, Paul writes it this way, verse 14, what shall we say of them? Is there injustice with God? Because so many people come and go, oh, man, Scott, hey, I'm going to read you some verses in a minute where everybody dies. Men, women, children. A lot of people struggle with that. It's very, very difficult. It's hard, isn't it? As humans, it's hard for us to get our minds around it. And so Paul dealing with the same thing when it comes to salvation, that he has compassion on whom he has compassion, right? Because he goes into this great thing. Is there injustice with God? And then he says, is there? And he, and he stops. And then he makes a statement, may it never be. That's impossible. God, is, God cannot be unjust. For he said to Moses, I will have compassion on whom I will, excuse me, I will have mercy upon whom I will mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will compassion. That this is what God does, and so then it does not depend on, the, on man and his will or, or on man how he runs, but on God who has mercy. So the way God often hardens a man is he just leaves him in his sin. Because, see, sin doesn't soften. You, you can't say, well, you know, I'm gonna, I think I'll be a less of a sinner. It, you know, it doesn't work that way. 
you just continue in it, it'll get harder and harder. It'll take you where you don't want to be. And so in reality, this is what God does. He leaves man in his sin. Man just goes farther down it. His heart hardens farther against God. And the heart cannot on its own become soft. In fact, we know that it is a sovereign God who has the ability to take out the heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh so we can love him. And here he just leaves these kings in this sin. King of Sion and Bashan, they fall under the same judgment, just like men like Pharaoh to Judas. Their hearts were hardened against God. They never come to repentance, but they continue to war against God. Plus, God, he he, he, he did something with the Edenites, right? He does something with Ammon. He does, they're, they're, they're brothers of this nation. He has plans for them, right? So he has plans, and if you study the, um, Edom and you go all the way through the majors and minor prophets, you'll see them come back up and judgment falls on them and God uses them in different ways. Um, Amos re- speaks greatly about them and so forth. You'll see that God's not done. He's going to use them further. And so he doesn't just leave them there. He holds them in a position where he lets his people pass through. He does not harden their hearts in this way. It's quite fascinating when you think of it. Now, what's the results of a hardened heart? Look at 32 through the end of the chapter. Then Sion, with all of his people, came out to meet us in battle at Jahaz. You're going, oh, this is not good. You're going to go up against the God of the Israelites, the one true living God. Verse 33, the Lord our God delivered him over to us, and we defeated him with his sons and all of his people. So we captured all his cities at that time and utterly destroyed the men, women, and children of every city. We left no survivors. Complete judgment. And you go, oh, is that fair? Oh, wait a minute. Everybody deserves the wages of death. And, and, and I think when you look at these passages, you, you see a, 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 a capsule of understanding what God does. Judgment falls on those who reject him. He sent peace into them. When you study this passage, you begin to think, yes, and certainly it was very physical. Hey, we're just going to come through. We'll buy some food and water from you. But, but there's, a, there's a spiritual aspect to him. He sent peace They rejected that peace. What happens if you reject the peace of Jesus Christ today? You die under the judgment of God. And then those who bend the knee to our God, we receive in heaven, maybe not on this earth, but in heaven, riches beyond what you can imagine. You can see that what happens here in the verse 35, after complete destruction happens, you get this little bit of earthly context of heaven and hell here. Hell, everybody's destroyed. Heaven, we took only their animals as our booty and and the spoil of the cities that we captured. And Aror, which is in the edge of the valley of Arnon, and from the city which is in the valley, even to Gilead, there was no city that was too high for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. Isn't that interesting? Now, it's very physical, and and it's not heaven, and it's not even the promised land because they're not across the river yet. But it's a glimpse. Reject the peace that God offers you, and you die. Receive that peace and, and follow God, obey him by faith, which the nation of Israel did, and they received great spoil. 
Someday God will reward his children in heaven. And it's unimaginable the things that heaven has for us, for those who love the Lord our God. Verse 37, only you do not go near the land of the sons of Ammon. He puts that back in there. Along the river of Jabbok, because their, their land came up. Again, that's the sons of Lot. In the cities of the whole country, wherever the Lord our God has commanded us. And so, again, you see them obeying the Lord. Now we drop into chapter 3. Um, look at verse 1. With, then we turned and went up to the road to Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, with all his people came out to meet us in battle at Edri. Hmm. <laughs> Two people receive the peace, let them pass through. One group now has not received the peace and has been totally wiped out. Now we come to a second group here. King of Bashan. Og. Now, here we come to this account where Og says, no, my heart's hardened. I'm coming out against you. He comes out in full battle array, full military campaign against God's people. And God says in verse 2, notice, have courage. The Lord said to me, do not fear them, for I have delivered them and, um, and all their people in, into his, this, and this land into your hand. And do not say to him, just as you said to King Zion, the king of Amorites who live in the Heshbon. Um, and so here, this reminder, and I love this reminder, oh, Moses, encourage the nation. Verse 3, I'll deliver them. So the Lord delivered, our Lord our God delivered Og, also the king of Bashan, with all his people into our hands, and we smote them until no survivor left. Same, same thing. And notice the reward. We captured all of the city at that time. There was not a city which we did not take from them, 66 cities, all of the region of Argob in the kingdom of Og in Bashan. And all these cities fortified with high walls, gates and bars, besides great many unwalled towns, all became theirs. Again, rejection of God, destruction. Trust in him, he supplies the needs. Verse 6 to 8 is a little bit of a summary of what happened. We utterly destroyed them as we did the Sion, the king of Heshbon, and utterly destroyed, destroying the men, women, and children of every city, but all the animals and the spoils of the city we took as our booty. Thus, we took the land at that time from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan from the valley of Arnon to Mount Hernon. And so there's just a little wrap-up. Now, look at verses 9 and 10. This is just some history. The Sidonians called Hernan Siron, and the Amorites called it Sinir, and all the cities of the Plateau, Plateau and all Gilead and Bashan, as far as Salica and Idri, cities of the king um, of Og and Bash, Bashan. So there, there is the, the borders, really. Now, verse 11 is really fun. For only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of Rephraim. Behold, his bedstand was an iron bedstand. It is in Rabaha of the sons of Ammon. Its length was nine cubits, and its width was four cubits by ordinary cubits. Now, isn't this interesting and very intriguing that he drops this in on this history lesson? And though Og's kingdom is described as an Amorite kingdom, 
he himself, the king, was from this Rephaim. Rephaim. This, these are descendants of very, very large people. I, I, I got a little bit sidetracked because you got reading on this stuff because it's quite fascinating when guys that way smarter than I, theologians, go to work on this thing. But everything they brought out was just the dark, black, magic, demonic paganness of this group. They, they have complete rejection of God. These were uh, some of the most wicked people on the face of the earth. There is certainly a connection, not that the Nephilim made it through the flood, but, but the demonic probably indwelling of the Nephilim before the flood, this is probably the same thing that goes on to happen. There's clear connection, most of the theologians made with Goliath, that this guy or someone else like him has descendants scattered all over. But I thought it was interesting that it said his bedstead was an iron bedstead. Now, the word bedstead, I think most of the translations all say bed or couch. But a couple of guys I really liked Hebrew-wise translated a little different. They said his sarcophagus was this size. 13 and a half long by six wide. That's a big dude. This is no little guy. And most likely, like so many other kings, they had their sarcophagus built long before they died, so they were ready in case something happened. They had it all built. And so uh, after reading quite a bit on it, I tend to lean towards this, and it just it fascinates me to hear how big these men were. And remember, see, go back. And remember when they came back out of the promised land, and they said, look, it's flowing with milk and honey. There's fruit everywhere. We brought some back. But, man, they are like giants in there, and we are like grasshoppers to them. Here's the guy. (laughs) This is what they were up against. And God took care of them like that. And here's this young nation. Are you going to trust me? (laughs) God's saying to them, not like your forefathers. Are you going to trust me? And he wipes out this massive man as a leader. Look at 12 through 20 with me. As I continue to work quickly through this. We took possession of this land at that time from Aor, which is in the valley of Arnon, and half of the hill country in Gilead, and its cities I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadonites. The rest of the Gilead and all of Bashan, the king of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. All the region of Ergob, uh, concerning all of Bashan, it is called the land of the Rephraim. Jared, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Ergob as far as the border of the Gershonites and the Macarites and called it, that is, Bashan, after his own name of Havarjar, as it is this day. To the Macar, I gave Gilead. And the Reubenites and the Gadites, I gave Gilead even as far as the valley of Aaron in the middle of the valley of the border as as far as the river of Jabrok and the border of the Ammon, sons of Ammon. And Arabah also, the Jordan also, uh, with Jordan as a border, in Shinarnath, uh, even to as far as the Sea of Arabah and the Salt Sea and the foot of the slope of Pisgal, um, as from the east. Then I commanded you at that time, saying, "The Lord your God has given you this land to possess it. All your valiant men shall cross over, 
arms before your brothers, the sons of Israel, but your wives and your little ones and your livestock, I know you have much livestock, shall remain in the city which I am giving you until the Lord gives rest to your fellow countrymen as to you, and they will possess the land which the Lord God gives them beyond, them beyond the Jordan. Then you will return every man to his possession which I have given you. Now, this is just some history of how Reuben... Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh get this land. This is all land on the east side. So Mediterranean, what will be Israel here, Jordan comes down here. This is all on the east side of the river. And Reuben, as we saw in um, Numbers, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh said, hey, we would like this area. Now there's a reason they really like this area. Numbers 32, you can go back and read it I, I, or go listen to the sermon on it. Um, Bashan was an amazing place. Um, we passed through some of this. It, it, it has such deep water tables there. The runoff from the mountains, it has some of the greatest pasture land. Um, remember when David, um, in his Messianic songs, talks about the bulls of Bashan. It was known for its ability to graze and raise livestock. And, and so they saw this land and they asked for it. Again, Numbers 32 gives us much more detail, so Moses doesn't go into all of that. There's one other item here. Remember, I, and I mentioned this a little bit before. It, it's striking that God doesn't bring up King um, uh, Balak and Balaam. Remember that? He doesn't bring it up because they went so much entailed in that Numbers 22, 30. Uh, 22 and 31, and they also gained that area. So all of that and, and what he was describing in those verses was the new border for Reuben, um, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And that's, that's where they resided. And men, as you saw that, they were to um, make sure they settled their family there. Remember, they came in. There's 66, one place had 66 towns or villages, right? Cities that were there. So they settled their families in it. They were to settle them there, leave their wives and children and all their flocks, go across that border, fight to the bitter end, to the last group's done before they came back. And you already see that instruction given. And that's what they did. And so this Moab king, who was tremendously rebellious, um, uh, was killed along with uh, uh, Balak as well. Then, um, and, and remember, they tried to, they tried to deceive the nation and, and brought immorality to them, and, and God wiped them all out. Now, last little section here, um, just, our, just a few minutes we have left. Moses' prayer given and heard, but refused. Now, up to now, it's quite fascinating, right? We, we struggle humanly with the death of men, women, and children, and all of that. Um, but yet, we understand peace is offered, rejection Peace in Christ, rejection, hell, and we, we see all that. But Moses is a good man, isn't he? And this section is his prayer. And it's heard, but it is refused. And it's quite challenging to study this. Look at, we'll just read through this and then I'll make a few comments. We'll be done. Verse 21, I commanded Joshua at that time saying, your eyes have seen all that the Lord has done to these two kings, so the Lord shall do to all the kingdoms into which you are about to cross. He's instructing Joshua all along. Remember, he's spending all this time with Joshua, getting him ready, but he turns to him and says, you see what he did? That's what he's going to do. Do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. Remember in Joshua, you'll see over and over, be of, cur- be of courage, be of courage, be of courage, right? Moses was teaching them that. Verse 23, I also pleaded with the Lord at that time. Okay, so here comes Moses pleading, saying, O oh Lord God, you have begun to show your servant, that's him, your greatness and your strong hand. I'm now seeing what you promised. 
For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? It's a prayer of complete truth and honesty and recognizing the characteristics of God. Moses is humbling himself before his God. Verse 25, let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. I want to see it, Lord. Let me go, no, notice, into the land. He, he wants to go in. Verse 26, but the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, Speak to me no more of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes to the west and to the north and to the south and to the east and see it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go across at the head of this people, and he will give them as an inheritance a land which you will see. So we remained in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. Well, this is quite challenging, isn't it? Moses now tells us how God deals with himself. He's been telling us all along how he's dealt with the nation, but now it gets really personal. And think about this. Moses has spent great amount of time in the presence of God, so much that coming from the presence of God, the glory reflected off his face, and he had to wear a veil when he wasn't in the presence of God because the people couldn't bear it. This man was with God a lot. His faith in God's ability to deliver the promised land had not wavered. He knew God was going to do it. He just wanted to see it. But then he lacked. In that moment, that lack of faith, and he struck that rock twice out of anger and then stepped in front of the authority of God and took his glory from him for that moment and said, shall I do this? And it cost him. And all of his interaction with God gave him this great desire to see the land, but he is not allowed to go in. Moses reports this to the people. Notice he says, but the Lord was angry with me on your account. Verse 26. What does that mean? Well, I believe it means that Moses had a strong desire for the promised land, but he is rejected as an example. There's always a stricter judgment for those who teach and lead. God wanted to show the nation, I am not a respecter of persons. And so Moses is not allowed in. I think Moses' sin was very public. As I think that's one of it. He stood before the whole nation. He stood before them and, and robbed it. This wasn't a private sin. This wasn't just a few people. This was full public. And so God lets him suffer the consequences publicly. And of course, brothers and sisters, God forgave Moses. Jesus' death on the cross washed back and all of his sins were blotted out. But we see lots of men like this in the scriptures, all the way from David to Peter. Great men of God who failed and, and there were consequences. And I wrote in my notes, just a reminder for myself, Satan continues to hunt leaders. He hunts them. He wants to take them down and destroy them. Verse 26, end of verse 26 is a little bit of quite a statement. Well, think, look, enough, God says. Speak to me no more about this matter. What do you think about that? To me, it almost seems that it's difficult for God. I'm thinking humanly here. I think God loved Moses. 
But God's a just God. And God had given his word. And so I, I, I think you see the kindness of him. I can't let you in. But I will let you go up and I'll let you see what all of these people that you've led now for 40 years. You spent 40 years in Egypt. You spent 40 years in the wilderness with your father-in-law. And now you've spent 40 years with my people. I'm going to let you look and see what I'm going to give them. And God was kind and then he took him home. And it ends that way. That's the history of it, right? And that's where we come. And, and I, I, I love these first couple chapters just because they're so in-depth, the history lesson. I, I read it so many different times to get my mind around the movements and where they were at and what kings were going on. But, but it's such a, a beautiful history lesson with God right in the middle of history. In fact, orchestrating history. And it reminds us, brothers and sisters, do not forget he is in our history right now. Do not fear the kings of this world. He has a promised land for us. Do not get infatuated with the things of this world. He has something so much better, and he's going to give us the, the pleasures of heaven. Stay on course. Don't be like the older generation that didn't believe by faith and suffered. Let's believe and follow him. Father, thank you for our time together. It's so good to study the scriptures together. Thank you for the Bible's history lessons. And Lord, this is the perfect history book. They can't change this one. They can try, but they can't. It's your history book. And so we thank you that we can go to it and understand what you did in history and know that you are an immutable God who doesn't change and you will do and continue to do the same things. And so we praise you for it, Lord. Lord, thank you for a time in your word. Thanks for these folks. Give them great sleep tonight. Bring us back together on Sunday to worship you collectively. In Jesus' name, amen. Guard dismissed.